As I start this morning, um, I'm just going to be honest with you. If I could have preached any other message this week, I think I could have and I would have. Um, I struggled with this one this week. I um, cried over this one this week. As I thought about uh, what it would look like to see the crucifixion, the death, the trial, everything that we understand and know about Jesus Christ through the eyes of one of the thieves, one of the thieves that hung on the cross. As I was preparing this message this week and I was going through uh, several different things, historical um, documents and all these different things that we can pick out to depict what was going on at the time uh, when Christ was crucified, um, I struggled with it because I found myself identifying myself with the thief. And I'll explain to you guys that later, a little bit, a little bit later. And so maybe I'll offer a couple of apologies today, and keep in mind they're not completely heartfelt because I don't really apologize completely to you for this, but uh, this is not going to be your traditional Easter morning service where we preach about just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about those things. We all in here have heard this morning proclaimed through praise and worship and proclaimed through our pastor's message at uh, Lowther's Hill, he is risen. And I believe that those who are Christians in this congregation this morning stand firm on that belief that he, is a, that he has risen today. All right, and so I don't want to concentrate just on the, the death of Christ because this, this turns into a memorial service, and I'm very against this being just a memorial service of Jesus Christ because Christ is not dead. And I do not place Jesus Christ as a memorial. I don't go look at Christ's tombstone as a remembrance of me. Even the little tables that we have a lot of times, it says, do this often in remembrance of me. Christ said to do that, but it wasn't just in remembrance of him, but remembering what Christ is doing for you, not what he has done for you, but what he is doing for you. We do that often in remembrance of him. It's not a memorial service. I want to make sure that that's not taking place here this morning. I am going to talk about those, these things, a few, uh, another maybe half-hearted apology. You might hear some things that may be very unpleasing to your ear this morning. As I ran through and, and read through the depictions of things, there's some gruesome aspects of the crucifixion that I think needs to come out this morning to hear exactly what your Christ did for you. It was not pretty. A lot of times we make that claim that Christ died for my sins and we nonchalantly, he died for me. Do y'all understand really what death is? And when he says he died for me, what that really means, that he died for my sins, that he died so I can live? When we share in just a few minutes that it was more than just death. There was suffering and shame as the hymn of the old rugged cross tells us there was suffering and shame. It was agony, it was agonizing that our Christ went through so that I may have life. In this week that weighed extra heavy on my heart and tenderized my heart this week when I really read through the scriptures and read through the history of that. And so I halfway apologize to you today that it might sound gruesome. Maybe you have some talks to have with your children when you get done, but that's okay. Maybe that's the talk they need to bring them to salvation. Amen. The next half-hearted apology is this. The pastor's already alluded to the time. I've got a three-hour drive ahead of me this afternoon. I know you all want to get to ham and chicken and turkey or whatever else you cook on Easter Sunday, dyed Easter eggs or whatever it is you want to get into. You'll get to it. And I half-heartedly apologize for that. And if you need to get up and leave here in a little bit, you're free to do so. But I don't think you need to because this message and the, the, the words in it that I feel God has laid on my heart are just drastically important today that we listen to. And so with that being said, I'm going to read through Luke 23 portion of it, starting in verse 13, and we'll go from there towards the end of the chapter. And we're going to unravel a little piece of this, of what the crucifixion, what the trial, what the death of Jesus Christ would have looked like through the eyes of a thief. Starting in verse 13, it says this, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion, and behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which make you or that you make against him. 
No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now he was obliged to release to them at the feast of one prisoner. But they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man and release Barabbas. He was one, uh, he was one who had been thrown into prison for insurrecting, uh, insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate wanted to release Jesus, address them again, but they kept calling out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices, asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate announced sentence, uh, pronounced sentence that their, de their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who uh, had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. When they led him away, they seized a the man, Simon of Cyrene, came into the country and placed on him the cross to bury, uh, carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of people and of women who were mounting and lamenting him, grieving. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and the hills cover us. For if they do these things, when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves, and the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, for this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Then the soldiers mocked him, also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him that said, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not Christ? Save yourself and us. Take yourself off that cross and take us with you. And then he said, But the other answered, Sorry. And the other answered, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he, being Jesus, said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Father, continue to speak to me this morning. Continue to use your word found here in Luke, written by a physician. Penned by a physician, written by you. That you would speak to our hearts this morning. Let this message change our lives. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. One of the things that we see right off the bat with these thieves, the same as Jesus, they've faced a trial before Pilate. Pilate was the one that handed down judgment on the criminals in the area. Pilate, as we read in the scriptures a few minutes ago, tried his best to convince the people, the Jewish people, the ones that were screaming out to crucify Jesus, that he had done nothing wrong. That he had done nothing wrong. They found no fault in him. He was not guilty of a crime. But they still want him crucified anyways. The two men who were thieves were guilty of a crime. They had been placed on trial and found guilty, as we found a little later, that they were, they were sentenced to death. But any trial that we come into, even in our own lives that we face, we face the, the possibility of a crime or something that has been done that has been against the law. There's a legend here that goes about the thief of the cross. I'm going to go through a little bit of history. It's a very, very small little bit here that I found because one thing we understand about these thieves, there's not a whole lot written in Scripture about them. You can go back to the historical text and outside of Scripture to find some pieces and tidbits of information about these thieves, and this is what I was able to dig up, a little bit of it. 
This was written by C.E. McCartney, who said this as a legend on, of the thief on the cross. An old legend gives the names of the two thieves as Titus and Damascus. Uh, One of those could have been Gesmus. All right? And it tells us that when they were crucified, they were both well advanced in years, middle-aged or a little bit older. It says that the legend goes that long years before, when Joseph and Mary were in flight to Egypt with the infant Jesus, their caravan was waylaid by these brigands. Basically, they were jumped by a group of criminals that included these two. All right? Damascus was for destroying Joseph and Mary and the child. He wanted to kill them after they robbed them. But Titus, caught with the beauty of the child in Mary's arms, persuaded his companion to spare their lives and addressed the child, saying, Oh, bless the child, if the day should ever come when I shall need mercy, then on that day remember this deed. Wow. When I think about the thief and how God intervenes and, and, and intersects in our lives and the things that happen from early in our childhood all the way through the rest of our lives, it's so amazing how those answers start to unfold themselves later on. Who would have knew that the two thieves that hung on the cross beside Jesus would be reunited again with him in death. Oh, it's amazing. Just amazing. The other thing that we see, the crime that was committed, don't know exactly what it was, but because we know that both of them were thieves and both of them were murderers, there's a possibility that there was plenty of crimes committed because they were well advanced in years and it finally caught up with them. Things finally catch up with us and it finally caught up with them where they faced trial and were found guilty by... Pilate. Now, that brings me back to the whole thing of being found guilty, because there's this difference that really weighed on my heart this week, because one of my words and my testimonies I shared in a little bit is guilt, but it has to be much more than guilt, because we do come under, under guilt or conviction whenever we get to a point where we're found guilty. The dictionary defines guilt as this, responsibility for a crime or doing something bad or wrong, or a bad feeling caused by knowing or thinking that you've done something bad or wrong. Guilt is nothing more than an emotion. Guilt is nothing more than an emotion. But on the other side, conviction is the act or process of finding a person guilty of a crime, especially in a court of law. There is a tremendous difference between just feeling guilty about something and then being convicted by something or being convicted about something. Conviction will change your life, as we'll see here in a few minutes, when thieves were convicted. Conviction will change your life. They went through their lives feeling guilty. At the time when, when the thief looked at Christ and looked at his, uh, his partner and said, don't kill these three, and blessed child, if I come, to, come into your presence later on in life, just, just remember this event. Okay, so there's a difference. He felt guilty about stealing from them. He sure felt guilty. He said, I can't kill them. But he still went on living the rest of his life as a desolate, horrible criminal that eventually ended up having to stand trial and was found guilty under conviction. See the difference? Huge difference. It wasn't his guilt that convicted him. It was a judge that brought him under conviction. And because of that conviction, there was still a punishment that needed to be paid. I can't tell you how many times I, I see things on TV and the news and when you watch shows like Cops and these people that, that go down, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I won't do drugs no more, I won't do these things no more if you just let me go. No, it's not just letting me go. You have to face a penalty for it. I get caught speeding up the road and I can go over and cry to an officer and say, I'm so sorry, I wasn't meaning to go over the speed limit, don't give me a ticket. I appreciate that you're sorry, but here's your ticket. You can go pay it at the courthouse. Just because you're guilty of something doesn't mean that you're released from the punishment. Yes, you might be guilty of sin this morning, but you're still not released from the punishment. I'll get to that here in just a few minutes. Understand this. The, tri the, 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 the thieves' punishment was crucifixion. And I want to say it this way. It was crucifixion, not just death. It wasn't just death. Oh, Lord, for them to have known back then that they could have had a death penalty like we have now that's more humane, they went through crucifixion. And there are people that have been historically known to have been crucified and then live after it. So we understand that these two criminals had faced trial for what they had done wrong. The, the crime they had committed, fallen under guilt and conviction, and then uh, they faced the punishment. Now, look here. 
they also were facing death. They were also facing death through crucifixion. I think it's awfully, not awfully, I think it's interesting today that we sing so many songs about Calvary and the cross. And it's like the pastor said on Wednesday morning that, you know, we, we have the cross probably over our building in several different places. And don't get me wrong when I say this, I have utmost reverence for, for this. Because without this, I wouldn't have life. And without Calvary, I wouldn't have life. But the pastor is talking this, morning, this, this Wednesday morning, and I hadn't wrapped my head completely around it. He said, but what, what if Christ had been executed in an uh, electric chair? What if Christ would have hung on the gallows? Would we have nooses plastered all over our homes and in our churches? Would that be the emblem of, of salvation and of hope and mercy? Would that be it? But see, I'm going to explain to you a little bit about, about this part of it right here. Because back in that day, this was something to be feared. Calvary's Mount, Golgotha, the skull, was something to be feared. This is what it says about Golgotha, the skull. And you understand the walk from the place where Jesus Christ was scored, uh, scourged and when, um, when the thieves left out following probably in front of him or, and then Christ behind him. That, that was only about, there's variances, it says about an eighth of a mile to maybe a full mile, depending on the route they took through the city walls to get outside. But this place was very close to the city walls. And so every day when they looked out over the city's walls, they would see this as a remembrance of what happened. And this is what it says about Golgotha, this walk to Calvary, this walk to the skull. Golgotha is also known as Calvary. And this is the site outside the walls of Jerusalem where Jesus is believed to have been crucified. Golgotha is located below the place where the Holy Church is located. It is on the outside of the eastern wall of Jerusalem, northeast of the Temple Mount. The word Calvary means skull or place of the skull. Have you ever thought about that when we sing songs about Calvary, that we're singing about the skull or the place of the skull? And he says this, originally Golgotha is believed to have been a place for public executions. People were executed here and their bodies were thrown aside, thus becoming prey for birds and beasts. I want you to think about this. How many times have you all been by a massive trash heap? We have a pretty massive trash heap out in Bishopville. And you see the birds circling that thing. And you see everyone, the predators and everything over there picking and praying at this. This is what happened on top of Calvary, Calvary's mountain. There was birds and beasts of prey up there that were eating on the dead, rotting fleshes that sometimes had not even been taken off the cross. And if they were taken off the cross before they rotted, they fell down to the ground and they were sitting there just waiting for something to pick through them. Could you imagine a foul odor of Calvary's mountain? There was also a cemetery that stood near the ancient Golgotha. On the other side, the name Golgotha may have originated from the physical contour of the site, where it was located because it resembled a skull. It, had rounded, it was rounded and jaded, taking the shape of a skull. Others argue that the name Golgotha came from the historical belief that Adam's skull was deposited in this place, forming the Golgotha. However, these are just but suggestions. Until today, there's no single theory that exclusively explains the origin name of Golgotha, except for the fact that there was multiple, multiple public executions that took place on that mountain. Because according to the Bible... There are several scriptures that have been noted to suggest the exact location of Golgotha. It says in John 19 that the body of Jesus was carried only a short distance before being placed in the tomb. This definitely shows that the site where his body was taken from, a, from was certainly near a cemetery where Jesus' body is laid. In Hebrews 13, 12, it stipulates that the site was where Jesus was crucified, was outside the city gate. And then on Matthew 27, 39, it says it's indicated that the location of Jesus' crucifixion was near a road that carried a lot of foot traffic because there were many passers-by who mocked him. And despite all the discussions, the fact remains that this present site believed to be Golgotha is where Jesus was crucified and is where his body was taken from and being laid in a tomb. The tomb site, the, the death site, the execution site was very close by. We understand this about crucifixion. This is where it gets kind of gruesome. To think about what these thieves were getting ready to go to and what Jesus Christ did for us. It said, crucifixion was often performed to terrorize and dissuade its witnesses from perpetrating particular heinous crimes. 
Victims were left on display after death as warnings to others who might attempt descent. Crucifixion was usually intended to provide a death that was particularly slow, painful, says hence the term excruciating, literally out of crucifying, gruesome, humiliating, and public using whatever means they uh, were most expedient for that goal. Crucifixion methods varied considerably with location and time period. The Greek and the Latin words corresponding to crucifixion applied to many different forms of painful execution, from impaling on a stake to affixing to a tree to an upright pole or to a combination of an upright and cross beams. In some cases, the condemned was forced to carry their cross beam to the place of execution. A whole cross, which we believe our Christ carried, would have weighed well over 300 pounds. The cross that our Christ carried, we believe to carry, would have weighed over 300 pounds. After he had been beaten and scourged, no wonder he needed some help. But the cross beam would not be at quite as burdensome weighing around 100 pounds. They believe this is what the thieves had to carry. And if the thieves went so much agony carrying their cross beams, imagine when he looked behind them and saw what Christ was carrying, how much more for have done nothing. The person executed may have been attached to the cross by rope, though nails are mentioned in the passage by the Judean historian Josephus, where he states that at the siege of Jerusalem, the soldiers, out of rage and hatred, nailed those they caught one after one way and another after another to the crosses by the way of jest. The Roman soldiers were evil. They enjoyed part of this. While a crucifixion was an execution, it was also humiliation by making condemned as vulnerable as possible. Although artists have traditionally depicted, uh, depicted the figure on the cross with a loincloth or a covering over his privates, the person being crucified was usually stripped naked. Writings by the Seneca, the younger state, that some victims suffered a stick that was forward upward, uh, forced upwards to their groin despite its frequent use by the Romans. The horrors of crucifixion did not escape mention uh, by some of the eminent orators. For example, one, one person described crucifixion as a most cruel and disgusting punishment and suggested that the very mention of the cross should be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his ears, and his, uh, and his eyes. We weren't even supposed to think about this. How many of y'all go around thinking about the electric chair? How many of y'all thinking about hanging? That's the same equivalent that they were going through. When they saw Calvary's mountain and they saw that cross, they wanted nothing to bear from it. They had nothing to see. They said, shut your eyes off from it. They said frequently the legs of the person executed were broken and shattered with an iron club in an act called uh, crucifragum, which was also frequently applied uh, without crucifixion to slaves. This act hastened or sped up the death of the person, but was also meant to deter those who observed the crucifixion from committing offenses. Every torture they put on there was to stop somebody else from committing the crimes. In popular depictions of the crucifixion of Jesus, the wounds are described as being in his hands. Jesus is shown with nails in his hands, but in the Greek, uh, it's usually translated as hand referred to arm and hand together, probably the wrist. And to denote the hand is distinct from arm, uh, some other words were added. A possibility that does not require tying that is, uh, is that the nails were inserted just above the wrist between the two bones of the forearm, the radius and the ulna. An experiment that was the subject of a documentary on National Geographic said this. They showed that the nailed feet provided enough support for the body that the hands could have been merely tied. Nailing the feet to the side of the cross relieved strain on the wrist by placing most of the weight on the lower body. Could you imagine being hung through nails in your feet? Another possibility suggests is that the nails may have been driven into the angle, entering the palm in the crease that delineates the bulky region at the base of the thumb and exiting in the wrist, passing through the carpal tunnel. Basically, straight through here is an angle outside that way. In 1968, archaeologists discovered in northeast Jerusalem uh, the remains of one, uh, one, Jerusalem, um, one Jerusalem citizen who had been crucified in the first century. The remains included a heel bone with a nail driven through it from the side. The tip of the nail was bent perhaps because it was striking and not in the upright beam, which prevented it from being extracted by the foot. 
A first inaccurate account of the length of the nail led them to believe that it had been driven through both heels at the same time. But they said the nail was only four and a half inches long, which suggested instead that the, the, the nails were driven through their feet into the side of the cross. The length of time required to reach death could range from hours to, day, to days, depending on method, the victim's health, and environment. A literature review identified scholarly support for both several possible causes of death. As a, as a paramedic that spoke to me, because I said, oh, what a horrible, horrible way to die. Cardiac rupture, heart failure, hypovolemic shock, acidosis, asphyxia, which is strangulation, arrhythmia, basically um, um, irregular heartbeats, pulmonary embolus, a blood clot in the lungs. Death can result from any combination of those factors. Or from causes, sorry, or from other causes, including sepsis, following infection due to the wounds caused by the nails or by the scourging that often preceded crucifixion, eventually dehydration or animal predation, being hung on the cross until animals ate them off. A theory attribute, attributed holds that when the whole body weight was supported by the stretched arms, the typical cause of death was asphyxiation, strangling to death. He wrote that the condemned would have severe difficulty inhaling due to hyperexpansion of the chest muscles and lungs. Basically, with your arms stretched out, laid on the cross, you can never take a full deep breath until you did one thing, lift up with your legs. It's the reason why when they nailed them to the cross, they would have their legs bent at an angle so they could push themselves up to take breaths. It was all designed so they would face agony. The condemned would therefore have to draw himself up by his arms, leading to exhaustion, and the attending Roman guards could only leave the site after the victim had died. And were known to precipitate death by means of deliberate fracturing of the tibia and fibula of the leg bones on the lower leg, a spear stab wound into the heart, shot blows to the front of the chest, or building a smoking fire built at the foot of the cross to asphyxiate their victims. That doesn't sound like anything I would ever want to go through bring on the electric chair, right? Christ didn't go through all those bits and pieces of crucifixion, I don't believe. But to know that there was such a heinous crime, and I want to depict this for those who, who, who just listened to what they had witnessed in previous crucifixions. These thieves thought they could have any combination of this happen to them. Our Christ could have been thinking that he's about to have any combination of this happen to him. As much as the crowds were mocking or were mocking him, as much as the crowds were spitting on him, and keep in mind for the thief for a moment, as the thief is walking down these streets going to crucifixion, they weren't overly upset about their crimes. The crowds were screaming, crucify him. They didn't pay a whole lot of attention to these other two. They were focused only on Christ, but they were facing the same death. So our, our, our Christ, he hung on a cross. He had to walk to Golgotha, to Calvary, not just to die, but to be humiliated because he claimed to be my God. So what if I have to be humiliated that I'm able to claim Jesus Christ as my Lord? So what, teenagers, if you face a little bit of persecution at school because somebody made fun of me because I'm a Christian? Get over yourselves. Until the time that you are willing to hang on a cross, don't give me an excuse about humiliation. When it came time and they made it up to this death place, Keep in mind what these thieves are thinking because they're not thinking about, oh, man, it's a cross. Look at that. There's so much hope and peace and joy in that cross. Oh, man, they took us up on Calvary. Praise be to God, Calvary. They weren't thinking about that. The one thief was scared out of his mind. Do you not fear God? The other thief was completely unrepentant, completely unrepentant. 
both thieves, when they got up on that cross, and there's some depictions on whether or not Christ actually stood up on a complete upright cross with the cross beams out or whether or not I believe he did, uh, or, or whether or not the, the, the thieves had the same cross, whether it was just a, a top section, just like a T. We don't know that completely because it doesn't say it. We can kind of guess of what our Christ hung on, but we're not really sure what the thieves hung on. We feel like they carried their cross beam up there. But as they got up on that cross beam and they were, they were tied with ropes to it, because you understand they weren't nailed to it. They were tied to it. Christ was the only one nailed because they reserved that for the most heinous of criminals. And that's an important part of a sermon for another day, that the most heinous of criminals were nailed to that cross in just horrible fashion. But the decisions that these two had, they were facing a decision. When you go back and you look at the scripture, he says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and take us with you. Save yourself and us. What he was doing was he was looking for a quick fix to a problem. If you're God and you say you are, I believe that my God can do everything for me, which I want you to understand. I believe that's true. But, I, but, but, but just, just hear me out for a minute. I believe my God can do everything for me as long as I pray every day and as long as I read my Bible every day and as long as I go to church on Sundays and all these different things, my God's going to take care of me. When I call on him, he's going to give me everything I want. Understand, that is the wrong way of thinking. That was the unrepentant thief's way of thinking that, okay, I can look at you, and if you are God, take yourself off that cross and take me with you while you're at it. He wanted a quick fix to a solution, a solution to a problem that he had. He didn't want Christ to, just, to do anything for him. He wasn't looking for salvation. He was wanting Christ just to fix the problem. Work a miracle. People have touched your garment, and you've healed them. Take me with you. But Christ wasn't interested in that. Christ knew because of the word of God and what was inside of him that he was going to have to die. Which brings me to the repentant thief. The repentant thief knew that he was going to die. He knew it. He was scared of it, but he knew it. Remember what the repentant thief said. He said, do you not even fear God? Since you were under the same sentence of condemnation, we're, we're both facing death here. Do, do you not fear God? We're getting ready to see him. Do you not believe God is here? Indeed, we are suffering, suffering justly because we've done wrong for re-receiving what we deserve because of what we did. But this man that sits beside me, he's done nothing wrong. And this is what he says. He says, remember me today in your kingdom. The thief humbled himself before Christ. And his last waking moments turned over to Jesus Christ and said, Remember me today. I know that I have done all these things wrong, and I know that I'm going to have to deal with this. But please, today, remember me. And he was rewarded. He was rewarded for his acceptance of Jesus Christ as his Lord at that moment. When Christ told him, said, Don't worry, today you will be with me in paradise. I want you to see this as kind of a, depiction of what we're talking about is these thieves, what these thieves had gone through. It's been so long, oh, such a long time since I've lived with peace and rest. Now I am here, my destination, and I guess things work.
wrap this sermon up here. Um, I told you earlier that as I read through the scriptures and I was reading through the history of what they went on, uh, went through, I struggled because I um, found myself identifying thieves. Why is that? And I'm going to make a pretty bold statement. I want you to hang with me for just a moment. We are all thieves. And you sit back and you say, oh, wait a minute. I ain't stole a thing. I'm fine. There ain't nothing wrong. No. We are all thieves. First and foremost, we've committed a crime against God. It's called sin. No matter whether you're a thief, no matter whether you're a murderer, no matter whether you're diving to pornography and all these different things, all these heinous stuff that you say, well, I'm not sinning. No, 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 no. There's not a single person in this room that came out of their mother's womb perfect and sinless and blameless not a single person so we have all committed a crime against God and furthermore the reason why I can say we're all thieves is because we've all stolen from him every one of us in here has stolen something from God even Christians today are still stealing from God whether it be a lack of giving what God has told you you're supposed to do, because if we understand and believe that everything in this world that we have, including our own lives, belong to God. We don't have anything that does not belong to him. And so if you're sitting in here today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are stealing from God because your life is not even your own and you need to turn it over to him today. You are a thief. And we're all guilty, but for a lot of us, we have never fell under conviction. We may be facing and feeling guilt, and I pray today that somebody did not make a decision at some point in their life based on an emotional feeling of guilt. Because if it's only an emotional feeling of guilt, you are lost and you're on a straight way to hell. Because the only time that you can ever accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, when the Holy Spirit gets upon you is when you have been convicted and found guilty of the sin in your life. It is two completely total different things. The other thing is this, just like the thieves, we're all facing death. There's not a single person in here that will not have to walk down the pathway to death at some point in their life. As long as the Lord doesn't come back first in the rapture, you will all face death. Every one of us in here, we're not immune to it. We can't escape it. 
the way I wrote it down in my notes here is that we're all walking on death row. Right? Many people saw the green mile. I kind of depict the same situation. Those thieves did not willingly, did not willingly grab up their cross member and go walking up the hill to Golgotha thinking it was some praise, praise God moment that I'm about to go put on execution, hang on a cross in remembrance of my Savior and on the same place where he died. They're not thinking that. They were having to be beaten up the way on the way up to Calvary because we're all facing the same death. Some of you in here are today are scared of death. There's others that are assured of death. Even though we have to face it, just like our thief we read about a minute ago, he was assured that today he was going to die. I knew I was going to have to face it, but Christ remembered me today. Huge difference. Another thing, we must all humble ourselves before God. And keep in mind what I said a minute ago. This sometimes will come with much humiliation, and it makes you vulnerable. Vulnerable to Satan's attacks, because I do believe that demons walk among us. But I tell myself this every day because of my salvation, that Satan may walk among me, and he may tempt me, but that's all he can do. Quit giving the devil so much credit. Quit saying Satan is working in my life today, because Satan can't work in your life today unless you let him. You're the one dealing with that. And the other thing is this. We are all having to face a decision. Our two thieves made a decision. One made a decision to say, Christ is a quick fix. I may feel guilty, feel guilty for what I'm doing, emotional. Take me off the cross with you, and I continue to live my life. See, people today are thinking that somehow or another, saying a prayer at an altar with a pastor, having a pastor pray a prayer, you repeat after me, do those things, that somehow or another on an emotional response, that's going to get you a get-out-of-hell-free card that now gives me the pleasure to be able to go live my life the way I want to because I have this salvation. No, no. Remember that speeding ticket I told you about a little while ago? You will face a punishment for what you have done in your life. The only difference is if you truly repent over to Jesus Christ and you truly repent of your sins and you truly turn over to him, you face your punishment and walk into eternal life. Adam and Eve did this. This is exactly what they did. They fell in temptation early in the garden. They took of the fruit that they weren't supposed to take of. And God said, I love you still, and I'm going to give you a pathway to salvation. But understand this, you're still going to have to walk through death. Woman, you're going to have to deal with pain and agony during childbirth. Men, you're going to have to work every day of your life to make sure that you are able to sustain you and your family. That was the punishment. It doesn't mean that God isn't there to, to, to save us and that God is not there providing a path for us. It means you're just going to, have to, you're going to have to face this. So what decision are you making today? Are you under guilt? Are you under conviction? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior to where he would remember you today? In paradise, are you just looking to come off that cross? The word tells us that everyone has their cross to bear. doesn't mean you have to stay on it. Quit looking for quick fixes. Quit being a thief. Give back to God what is his. My three words, real quick, my three words. I had guilt down as one of them. And as I read through this study this week, I had to change it to convicted. Because my salvation was not an emotional, guilt-ridden response. It was a conviction. God found me guilty for what I did. When he sent the Holy Spirit into my heart, he found me guilty. And I had to take action for it. I won't go into glorifying Satan with everything that I was doing at that time in my life, but I will tell you this, I was a pretty rotten dude. And some of you guys might be uncomfortable with the fact that you have a pastor who did not grow up in the Southern Baptist Church, did not get saved until I was 18 years old, that didn't call, get called to ministry until I was 26 years old. I did not grow up in a pastor's family where I just come under my dad's teachings to where I'm now a pastor underneath his tutelage. That's not what happened to me, and I hope you're not uncomfortable about that. But, that's right. But, but, but hear me out for just a minute. When God convicted me, my life changed forever. At that moment when God convicted me and told me that my guilt was so ridden for the things I had done wrong and I didn't understand why I was so guilty, why I was feeling this, why I all of a sudden felt like I had this punishment upon me, I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart as my Lord and Savior, and then this happened. I had a, a sudden peace about like, man, I had, just, I, I had just released this, making this confession, 
But then I was awfully confused. Where do I go from here? What do I do from here? Remember, I wasn't a disciple daily. I had no idea where I was going from here. So I slipped back into some old habits, as any natural person would, who, who had just fell under his conviction, got saved, and then no one discipled you. You didn't know where to go. I was confused. And then God puts a beautiful woman in my life that, you know, I start dragging her down. And don't, don't pay attention to this. You can be unequally yoked and have family members you're trying to bring to church and trying to raise to God. You go to church and you go to God and you take your personal life to it because if you're relying on somebody else or trying to drag somebody else with you, they're going to drag you down. And I did that to my wife for so many years until she basically gave me an ultimatum one year and said, you know what? You know what? We're not raising our children in a godless home. Okay. Speaks to me. So when we go start going to church, that's when I start seeing God work in my life. And that was the reason my last word is that it's ever-changing. My life is ever-changing. It's always changing. I never in a million years thought I'd ever be a pastor. If you told me 10 years ago that I'd be standing up behind a pulpit preaching in a place called Mechanicsville, ain't no way. But my life is always changing. And I guarantee you my ministry is going to constantly change. Church, I'm about to hurt your feelings a little bit, but even this church is going to constantly change. As long as you have pastors and you have ministry leaders who are in God's word, and who are seeking God's will, and knowing that God changes, God changes the hearts of people and gives them new vision and new direction. Guys, pay attention to me. Listen, you, this church is going to change, but it's not changed for the bad. It's changed for the better because we're doing the gospel call to go reach others for Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. So I ask you this this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you, are, you, are you feeling the conviction by the Holy Spirit that says, I feel guilty? Maybe just like me, I feel guilty for this. I don't know why. I'm so confused. God is helping you. The Holy Spirit's talking to you today. Don't walk away from this moment or opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because just as that video we showed, he says, my time is coming soon. You don't know when your hour is going to be. You don't know when your time is going to be. You don't know when your when you're walk to Calvary is facing you. You don't know that. And at that point, moment, I hope you're not looking for a, good fi- a quick fix. I hope you're not looking for a solution to a problem. Instead, you're looking to say, okay, I'm going to face this, but I'm turning this over to God. Because the Bible tells us this. He says, if we confess with our mouth our sins. Confess with our mouth our sins to God, and we ask forgiveness for those sins. And we proclaim him that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Call upon the name of the Lord, Acts 2.21. says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, it says this, you shall be saved. That thief did exactly that. I don't deserve, you don't deserve what they're doing to you. I do because I've done these things, and I'm just, and I know I'm going to have to face this penalty, but God, please remember me today. That is the whole salvation story in a nutshell right there. Please remember me today. I'm going to close with this little poem before we pray and, and open invitation. So stand and then I'm going to go ahead and come forward while I'm reading this. This is called Three Crosses. It says, three crosses on a lonely hill, a thief on either side, and in between the Son of God, how wide the gulf, how wide. Yet one thief spanned it, And with words, O Lord, remember me, the others scoffed and turned aside to lost eternity. Forsaken is the hilltop now, and all the crosses are gone, but in believing hearts of men, the center cross lives on. And still, as when these centennials first met earth's wandering view, the presence of the Lord divides upon which side. I don't know what your need is today. I don't know if it's a need of salvation. I don't know if it's a need of just prayer. I don't know if it's you're wanting to pray for somebody in your family. We have a lot of situations today, on this day in particular, where families are gathering together to, to eat meals together today and those kind of things. But me and the pastor is going to be standing up here in just a few minutes. And I want to ask you this. One last plea. If the Holy Spirit's working in your heart today, you're feeling that intense 
feeling inside your heart. You can't quite explain it, and you don't know what it is. It's probably the Holy Spirit working on you. And maybe you don't quite understand what it means to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to come talk to me and the pastor one-on-one. Or two-on-one if it takes that. Because you know what? I know we have ham waiting on us, and I've got a three-hour drive ahead of me. But your eternal security, the fact of knowing that you're able to turn it over to God and ask him to remember you today is more important than going and eating dinner with my family this afternoon. I want you to understand that today. And so if there's somebody in this house of worship today that needs to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I want you to respond and come this morning so we can make that right between you and God. If there's any other prayer need that you might have this morning, maybe it's just somebody who wants to just come and lay before the altar today. You don't even have to come to the pastor's presence. You can just come to the altar. Isn't it great that God gives us opportunity? We can fall on our face to him and pray to him, and we don't have to have an intercessory. Our intercessory is Jesus Christ, and we pray to him. That's all we need. I pray that whatever situation you have this morning, that you respond to it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I believe your spirit's not done working this morning. I believe that you're still stirring in the hearts of the people in this room. Father, turn this place into a sanctuary. This gym floor, this basketball goals, these, these, these ceilings of white, the walls of white, this gray floor. Turn this place into a sanctuary this morning. Turn this altar up here to a holy ground where we'd fall on our face before it. But more importantly this morning, Father, I pray that there's someone in this room that does not know your son as their Lord and Savior. That at this point they're continually looking for that quick fix that that one thief had done. But Father, they want to call upon your name this morning to make their relationship with you right today. That they would make they respond to that without leaving this building. Father, don't let one more minute pass because we don't know when our hour is at hand. Only thing we know is that our time is coming soon. Father, I just pray this prayer right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.